Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher Sarah Perry. About four years ago in Chicago, a little store called Taika Bowls with big Legos on the windows actually got a lot of criticism. And this is because it wasn't meant for kids. It was specifically focusing on adult babies and diaper lovers, ABDL for short. And this is a concept we can refer to in the psych community as paraphilic infantilism, which is kind of the evolution of infantosexual transvestism, which was quoted in 1910 by Dr. R. Peto. But this store was specific because it didn't actually allow children in and it totally looked like it was advertising for kids. The community, as you can imagine, went berserk and it started the whole conversation about what this is and what we should make out of it as a society. This is Sarah Perry and thanks for joining me. By the end of this podcast, you should know what adult baby diaper lovers are, what they aren't, where to find it if you like it yourself, how to prepare for it, how to go about making it happen for yourself with all of the consent, respect, and pleasure that your body is worthy of, and any other misrepresentations that you may have heard and need to correct. So let's get right to the nitty gritty. ABDL was first heard of in common media in 1966 when a college student just climbed into somebody's house saying that he was just compelled to go in to put on some diapers and get in their crib. Well, of course, this is terrifying because as a parent, you definitely don't want an adult to come sneak into your kid's room and into their crib. But it turns out that they didn't actually have an attraction for children at all. The attraction was towards wearing diapers on their own. Like I was saying earlier though, Dr. Peto in 1910 was actually writing about this phenomenon already. So obviously we were talking about it, but maybe we weren't really seeing it in pop culture and in society in general, which makes total sense because 1910 is right around the time where we started developing psych wards and started putting people um, in places against their will and deciding that whatever their behaviors were were no longer socially acceptable and they had to be kept away from society. It's about 30 years after the start of psychology. Can you imagine any movement that can cause so much trouble in 30 years? Well, psych has taken us a lot further than that, that's for sure. Now, something you may have heard is that this is kind of like pedophilia because people are actually attracted to the things that little kids do, but it's not. In fact, most of the time, ABDL refers to a person who wants to dress like a child and act like a child, a lot of times like a baby, but not necessarily wanting to engage with children themselves. In fact, most of these places where this kind of activity takes place really are pretty freaking clear about the fact that it's only 18 and up, which, by the way, seems completely trivial because a lot of the people that talk about falling in love with wearing diapers and acting like adult babies talk about doing that really in the beginning of their teen years and kind of never outgrowing it. So we need to, in ways, create better environments for our teens to feel safe doing the things they want to do in environments where they're going to be supported and not like thrown into bad situations, of course. 
These people have no want to engage with actual children. In fact, it would almost divert away from the attention that they're wanting to get themselves. When you listen to research and you listen to the narratives of people that engage in ABDL, what we're really hearing over and over and over again is that they want to exist in a headspace that gives them a little bit of comfort, that gives them a little bit of an escape from um, kind of the stresses of adulthood. Um, Something that I kept hearing come up over and over is that some people want to relive a childhood that they missed out on or that they didn't have completely. And this makes perfect sense. Lasala did a study that was published in 2020 this year. So really groundbreaking work with a hypothesis of parental rejection in cases of people that like to engage in ABDL. If you know anything about my podcast, you know that I don't like to break people down to the reason that we do a bunch of stuff because honestly, it's always super biased any way that we look at it. But what he did find is in his super tiny study, I believe it was 23 people, that there were patterns of anxious attachment with their parents and at least memories of traumatic parental rejection as children. Well, I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty clear that we can all say that we've had some kind of traumatic parental rejection in our lifetimes. I only know of one person who claims to have had a trauma-free childhood. So if that's you, more power to you. But to me, it seems like kind of a really trivial thing to put on a fetish. And I'm using the term fetish lightly also because when we think about fetishes, we think that everything is sex-based. And it turns out about 30% of the people that engage in ABDL actually feel like it's something that's arousing. A lot of the people, 90% of the people that engage in it do have sex while in their childlike headspace, but don't actually relate it to being a child itself. They relate it to like something that just happened. In surveys done by Gray, where he does mapping to show interest, the four interesting aspects for people that engage in ABDL, what we find is actually that it is not very important to people who are engaging in this fetish and in this activity to have sex. And that kind of shows that the purpose of the activity is not to end in sex, that it just kind of sort of happens. But remember what we've talked about in terms of rituals when it comes to sexuality. It makes sense that when one gets prepared and dressed up and starts engaging in a specific type of play, that play can easily lead to sex simply through the process of ritualism. So keep that in mind when we talk about what things turn people on and how they're not necessarily related to what's happening, but the fact that it has happened in a similar pattern and with a long period of preparation every single time. So the four aspects that he marks are the idea of diapers. Really, the feeling, smell, and sound of diapers seems to be a very, very important aspect. Another one is sex. Another one is power control dynamics. And the last one is actual babyhood. And he has mapped everything into a species of triangle where he puts baby on one corner, control in one corner, and fetishism on the other. Fetishism being the part that is found arousing. And it turns out that it's pretty divided in terms of people's motivations for doing certain things. There are people who, similar to, for example, being a 
a trans person would feel that they are actually babies. And there are people that say, I am a baby. And in language, in survey research with these people, they tend to use this kind of first person um, narrative where they say, well, when I was dressed up like a baby, blah, 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 blah. But they talk about themselves a lot. And it kind of dictates and carries a narrative on like who and what is important in the experience. Then on the other side of the triangle, when we're talking about control, um, we're really looking at people who are using like the narrative of a parent. Um, Daddy spanked me, or daddy punished me, or I was a good girl, I was a bad girl. And that specifically has to do with control and has been linked to kind of the same fetishes as someone who is a masochist, someone who wants pain inflicted on them. Um, In the studies that Gray does, he draws a lot of comparison between being a trans person and this triangle, which can be mapped um, pretty similarly, simply because some people see it as an identity, like we talked about in my cross-dressing podcast episode that you should totally check out if you haven't. And some people don't and actually consider it just a part of something they like to do to dress up um, like a person of the opposite gender. And then Lastly, the last part of the triangle is really the fetish, the people that think that this is what turns them on. And it's hard for us if we are not into this type of thing to kind of put ourselves in the position of why wearing a diaper could be sexy. But most of the people who engage in the kind of sexuality that finds us arousing are people who like being diapered. And what is not to love about someone disrobing you and cleaning your genitals? In fact, there is a huge movement for the idea of like a dominant person that will come through and wash you and shave your body before they have sex with you in a very rough way. And it's almost this um, kind of paradoxical situation where you have a lot of tenderness and caretaking and then a lot of control and it seems that this also matches that parallel very well the people that love the fetish of this can be compared to that in the way that they like having someone take care of them and then abuse them in essence or role play that they're being abused Currently, there are over a dozen registered adult baby nurseries in the UK, which is really the only place that I could find a lot of information about this on. It seems like in the US, what we mostly have are houses that allow this type of play that you can join and that have communities that get together pretty privately to engage in play. But think about it, all of this furniture that it takes. Think about having a child and all of the equipment that a child demands and then making all of that equipment adult size and the amount of space that that would take up is really not easy and certainly not cheap. So this is exactly where these adult baby nurseries come in, where people can pay either hourly or overnight or for the day to literally come and have somebody be their mommy and change their diapers and tuck them into bed and make them their meals and spoon feed them and bathe them. And it sounds like the most relaxing of all the experiences you could ever have. This woman in the documentary that I was watching, in fact, reports that most of her clients are actually in the armed forces. They don't perform any sexual services, but a lot of people report that they have a lot of arousal coming with a diaper change or with a situation of that sort, just like we were talking about. 
Now, some other activities that adult babies may engage in are things like playing video games or playing with specific toys and really fluffy, plushy toys or things that rattle, things that crinkle. They could also engage in cuddle piles, play dates, sleepovers. Um, of course, wearing comfy footy pajamas or onesies, um, using a pacifier or something to suck on. There are even references to sucking on a pacifier during sex and during orgasm in books like Gabriel Marcia Marquez's um, Love in the Time of Cholera. So while we want to think that this is like this new thing, it really isn't. And human behavior has had all kinds of different inclinations forever. And it is only now that we think that it's completely inappropriate to behave in a way that we were taught to behave at a certain age. The biggest problem we're really seeing with adult babies and diaper lovers is that the community is very ill represented in social media and in public spaces. This makes sense because things that are unknown are really difficult for us to understand and it also makes sense because we're so worried about our kids being safe in a world where child pornography is so accessible and pedophilia is everywhere. But really what we have is a bunch of stories and shockumentaries about the incredible life that these people lead and really why we should be afraid of them. So how do most people come to know that this is something that they like? Well, a lot of times it's just on the internet. You start realizing that there's a way that you can do this and a space to do this safely. And sometimes it's with a partner inside of an already established BDSM relationship where there is already somebody who is a caretaker or even a dominator, a daddy or a mommy that then does it in a form of humiliation. We were talking about that corner of the triangle that has to do with masochism and that link can come up very, very clearly. In fact, one of the interviews that I was looking at, the girl was a submissive to a daddy dom and eventually was called a brat and bratty and said that she was bratting and looked up some research and realized, wow, that actually sounds like something that I would enjoy doing. And it turns out they now live part of the time in a brat relationship, brat-dad relationship, and some of the time in a submissive and dominant relationship to this specific person inside of her little space, which is that headspace where she is acting like a child, she did not feel comfortable having sexual touch. But like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is an inappropriate thing. Role-playing dominant submission even inside of situations of incest, even inside of situations of pedophilia, are fine if they're being role-played by adults who are consenting and in a place where they both are sober enough and caring enough to each other to understand that we should engage in like aftercare and consent negotiations beforehand. One of the interviews also mentioned something along the lines of, well, my parents were concerned because how could I ever have a normal relationship? But in fact, you shouldn't have, quote, normal relationships. You should have extraordinary relationships. And I am exhausted at having to discuss this with almost every single person that I coach or engage in. The fact that we continuously are taught what to expect from our partners instead of being told to fight for and design the specific beautiful relationships that we want and that work for us. So remember when you're thinking about these ABDL relationships that in fact they're relationships that are built on very secure bonds that are technically 
very gentle where there is caretaking and nurturing almost in a way that doesn't um, exist in a naturally occurring relationship if you haven't established it they have so much love and so much care and so much trust for each other so let's keep that in mind when we start to recognize how people build arousal patterns and fetishes and behavioral patterns because it makes perfect sense and nobody's doing anything that is not convenient for them nobody's doing anything that doesn't feel natural to them really what could be more natural than spending time in a place where you used to feel safe or then doing some type of self-therapy where you are actually engaging in spaces that used to make you feel unsafe but now as an adult in ways that you can control the rhetoric and control the dialogue and actually get out of the experience exactly what you want exactly as you want it in sex therapy a lot of times we use these types of role play scenarios to switch people's perceptions about what is and isn't acceptable and in fact to heal lifelong trauma so remember a lot of this is nurturing caretaking sometimes there is a corrupt caretaker like we were saying in a masochist person but always under consent um, there's a ton of innocence play there's a um, good girl or good boy or bad boy bad girl play in terms of spanking that can be seen very very commonly so let's go to the next stuff what kind of lingo do you need to know well the term littles is typically a term that refers to people that are pretending to be about under eight like toddlers and babies um would be called littles middles would be people from about eight to teens preteens um and then adults of course are the people that pretend to be adult caretakers Another term you definitely have to be familiar with is the term munch. We learned this together last week with my interview with Kalea and we learned that this is some type of social networking event where you basically go meet other kinky people, specifically when it comes to your kink. So you're actually meeting people who are interested in the things that you are interested in. They take place in lots of different locations, sometimes bars, coffee shops, um, always in a public space sometimes it's just a couple of people and sometimes it can be like 20 30 people and i will say that never be shy if a munch is going to have very few people because sometimes you find that those people are the ones that are really looking to form connections and that will be willing to sit and have in-depth conversations with you in a way that could be much easier than with a big social group and in fact you can spend more time learning about the things that you're curious about in the first place also remember if you show up at a munch that you don't just walk in and um, start talking about fetishes and sexuality and diapers in this case it's the same as you would if you went to a business networking event you don't just walk in and ask people what their job is and how they could help you in your career you actually have conversations that are meaningful and form actual friendships that then open doors for you in other spaces so always keep that in mind that's the same in the fetish community and in the human community to find a munch there is a website called littlesmunch.com there's also fetlife f-e-t-l-i-f-e um, where you can look up munch leaders and you can actually look for people based on their fetishes so you can easily find people that are already in the community and perhaps could guide you without feeling shame and stigma just keep in mind when you're going to a munch that you want to know 
what the identifier item is that they have put out. Typically they'll put like a teddy bear out or there's a specific type of fruit on the table and that is a signifier for the group so that you don't just join another random group and then show up to go, you know, ABDL lover and then end up sitting at an AA meeting. And also try to note what the price range of the location will be and what's expected so that if you have to plan budget ahead of time, you already have that done. Keep in mind always that it's an amazing time to be into fetishes simply because there is so much out there and that there is no reason that you should not be exploring exactly the things you want to do with all of the consent that you have available and the support that this world can now give us. Thanks for listening and tune back next week when I'm actually having an interview with Kalea and her friend Jewel so that they can tell us more about the world of ABDL and their ABDL house. This has been another podcast of Haven Space. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Haven Space by Sarah and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Haven Space by Sarah. If you enjoyed this talk, consider becoming a patron and helping fund more talks like this in the future.